Thanks so much for joining us for this message from The Bridge Church. Our mission is to be a church that exists for Christ, for community, and for the city. We believe Jesus has called us to make an impact in our culture for the next generation, for diversity, for healthy families, and for church planning. Before it all began, it was just a handful of us, just an ordinary group of people. We didn't really know what we were doing, but we felt like Jesus had given us a mission. It was almost like a challenge from Him. And we didn't have many resources. We didn't have any promises of what would happen. Looking back, it sounds crazy, but we felt like we were called to be a small part of what Jesus was doing. To be a part of His mission of seeing people understand who He is and what He was doing on the earth. And before we officially began, there was a conviction within us, really a dream that we should be a people that were characterized by one simple statement. For Christ, for community, and for the city. For Christ, that means we believe it's all about Jesus, that all of history is really a story about Him and we wanted to make it about Him more than anything else. For community, that means we believe it's not about a building, it's a body. It's not an event, it's a family. It's not a club, it's a community of people who are radically committed to one another. And for the city, that means we believe it's about the good of the city, that Jesus loves our city more than we do and he wants us to seek the good of the city. And so we jumped, we took a big step of faith and left our jobs, left our homes, left our friends, left everything that was convenient and comfortable, moved to a new city to be part of a new movement of people called the Bridge Church. And by the time it was said and done, about 50 people in total moved with us and relocated to Wilmington to be a part of what Jesus was doing, which is just nuts. So from the beginning, we've never been characterized by normal. I think radical is a more appropriate word, which is what Jesus was. He was a radical that changed an entire culture and ultimately changed history. And it's been a crazy journey so far. Our first summer, we started out in a small room in the back of a church building that wasn't ours. From there, we moved into an elementary school for a few months until God opened the doors for us to be in our own space here at Market Street. And who knows how long we'll be here. We're just trying to figure it out as we go and do the best to be who we are and keep following Jesus. To go wherever He calls us to go, to do whatever He calls us to do. And we know that Jesus has called us to make a difference in the next generation. To help the next generation love Him and, and live for Him. And we know that Jesus has called us to be a diverse community that reflects the community around us, diverse ethnically, socioeconomically, generationally, and even politically. We know that Jesus has called us to be a part of making healthy families, helping moms and dads and kids in their journey. And we know that Jesus has called us to be a part of church planning, the replication and multiplication of new churches in our city, cities all over the world, so that more people can experience the revolutionary person of Jesus Christ. And we're not a perfect church, far from it, but we're a group of people trying to live out this mission and watch what Jesus does. Just ordinary people, ordinary people with an extraordinary mission.
Well, happy birthday, Bridge. Um, you are two years old. Congratulations. We made it to the two-year mark. How about turn to your neighbor, turn to somebody sitting beside you, give them a big high five and say happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. You are, you are officially two years old. And I was thinking, um, I was thinking last night, um, Hopefully we don't get into the terrible twos, you know what I mean? I'm hoping that's not kind of our, our story, but um, hey, happy birthday. It's so good to see you. I am uh, pumped that you're here. I'm so excited that you're, that you're here with us. This place is crazy. I mean, there's not, not even hardly a seat in the place. So, so excited that you're here. Um, if you would, I want you to grab your Bible. Go ahead and grab your Bible and open it to the book of Nehemiah. Open it to Nehemiah. That's in the middle of the Old Testament. It's really hard to find. It's kind of little. You're going to need some help trying to get there unless you've got a soft copy. If you've got a soft copy, digital copies, it's easy to find. But I want you to go ahead and open to, to Nehemiah. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll put the verses on the screens for you. And then as well, we'd love to be able to give you a Bible for free today. Uh, you can grab one at the resource area on your way out and uh, grab, grab a Bible. This, you got, this is just a beautiful crowd here we got here today. You know what? Church, you, you guys are, I see all different ages ethnicities represented. This is just a beautiful, uh, man, this is just a beautiful place. Um, well, today is special for a number of different reasons, and I want to share one of those with you uh, today, one of the things that makes today very special. Um, m- many of you aren't really aware of, of my story, of kind of my journey of what led me to this day. Um, it is an interesting story and journey. Sometime I will sit you down and tell you all about it. But my story, it kind of begins with my parents who, uh, when they were teenagers, they, they met Jesus. They, they heard about the gospel. They heard about who Jesus was, and they became Christians. They gave their life to Jesus. And uh, they met each other just a few years ago. A few years after that, uh, they became Christians as teenagers, met not long after that, and then hurried up and sealed the knot, and then got busy and had four kids, and so a big family. And um, my childhood, I grew up in a context where my parents were believers, and uh, they lived their entire adult lives trying to follow Jesus and just do whatever Jesus called them to do and whatever he asked them to do. And so that was kind of my experience. That means I grew up in church. Um, we went to church all the time. I mean, literally, like, all, like 14 times a week. I mean, we were there, like, non, nonstop. I think the only way that you could get out of church was uh, if you were kidnapped or either in the hospital. Those were, like, the only ways that you could get out. We were just there all the time, and, and, and I loved that. Um, and then when I was in middle school... Um, God called my, my dad, called our family, but specifically kind of told my dad that uh, we should start a new church, plant a church in, in the Myrtle Beach area, uh, which explains some of my redneck tendencies. And um, we moved, I was in middle school, I was in eighth grade, we moved to Myrtle Beach and started a brand new church, church plant, that's what a church plant is called, the church planting um, and my dad, he was a church planner before it was sexy, you know, before uh, there were conferences about church planning, before there were books, a lot of books written about church planning. And we moved there, left the comforts and conveniences of home and, and took our family and just moved to a new city to try to uh, start a new church and help people meet Jesus. And um, I remember that we didn't have a lot of money, and which is usually the case with church planners. And uh, when we got to town, there was just there was one place that, that we could afford. It was on the backside of a school property, of a private school that had this little single-wide trailer on the back of their property. This thing was a dump. Um, and, and I remember we moved there, and it was, I, I think the, 
my dad said like the power bill was actually higher than the rent, you know, <laughs> which I mean, this, this place was a dump. And uh, I remember walking in there and in my bedroom, I could see the ground through the floor, which is never a good idea. And we just thought, well, let's just try to get by for a couple months. Well, Two months turned into about 13 months that we, that we lived there. And my, my mom, she still refers to that season in our life as purgatory. <laughs> and she didn't believe in purgatory until we lived it. Um, and and I, just, I just remember um, just the whole process of, of doing that. And uh, so next year will be 20 years uh, from my, my dad uh, starting a new church. And he's still there. He's still faithful and plugs away. And, um, you know, and... It hadn't been a lot of glitz and glamour, you know. He's kind of taken the hard road, and I've learned kind of fr- uh, firsthand what it means to be faithful in a situation that isn't always the most fruitful, you know. But they've seen all sorts of different kinds of people come to Christ. I mean, just the stories are unbelievable. And so because my dad is a pastor, he, um, it's hard for him to, to get away, you know, on a Sunday to be here. So he's literally, he's never been here um, in two years, never been to the Bridge Church. But uh, today he made the trip, and, and he's here uh, with us right here. Thank you. Yeah. Proud of you. Love you, Dad. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, so today is super cool. Lots of emotions, lots, lots of energy, and I'm just really glad that you could be here with us as we celebrate uh, two years. Well, today what I would love to do is I want to take a few minutes, and it is going to be a short sermon. Um, even though you don't believe me, uh, but I want to take a, a few minutes to walk through one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. I mean, this one is just, I absolutely love this story. And what we're going to do is we're going to be in Nehemiah, and we're going to look at a small snapshot of the story um, of what, what God did through a man, through a man who had a vision for a city. What God did through a unique individual, actually an ordinary individual for uh, the city. And so this story, it begins about five centuries before the time of Christ. So I think five centuries before the time of, of Christ, unfortunately, the people of God had rebelled against him. Anyone ever rebelled against God? had rebelled against God, and the uh, result was the spiraling downward of the people of God, even to the point where they were in essentially a pit of failure. And at the center of God's people, at the center, the hub, you could say, of God's people was a city. And the city was Jerusalem. It was kind of the hub of the mission of God and the affairs of God and what, what happened through the people of God. It was a stronghold for the nation of God, the Jewish nation. However, in about, about 587 BC, the city fell to King Nebuchadnezzar of the Persian Empire, who sacked the city and killed many, many of the people of God. And then for those who weren't killed, many of them were exiled, taken from Jerusalem and put to Babylon. And then if you fast forward a few years, um, the Persians have a new ruler. They have a new ruler named King Artaxerxes. Everyone say Artaxerxes. It's a tough one. If you are pregnant, please do not name your children that. That is not now. If you have a dog, you name your dog that. Don't name your kids that. That's don't say. I heard Pastor Ethan say, "Don't name, don't name your your kid that." King Artaxerxes. Well, he was actually um, interested in having a, a safe, secure, law-abiding, peaceful Jewish community. And it's during his reign that Nehemiah comes onto the stage. Now, who is Nehemiah? Well, Nehemiah, he is a Jew. He's one of the people of God. He is a, a, a Jew. Uh, he is one of the exiles. He's living in Susa. 
in the Persian Empire. And he's an ordinary guy, but he's got a kind of a cool job and kind of a weird job. He's the cupbearer for the king, which means he gets to have really good wine, but it might mean that he dies. You know, He is the cupbearer for the king, King Artaxerxes. Now look with me. This is where we're going to begin. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is what it says. And they said to me, said to Nehemiah, speaking to Nehemiah, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble. Everybody say trouble. Trouble, trouble and in shame. Everybody say shame. Shame. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So word gets out, word gets back to Nehemiah that the remnant of God's people, the small population of people that were still in Jerusalem, they are in great trouble and shame. The wall is broken down, the gates are on fire. And what we're going to see from Nehemiah is that he cares about the city. He cares about Jerusalem. There's something about the city that he has a heart for. That his heart is, is connected, it's interconnected to the city, that, that he loves the city, that's got a huge heart for it. He cares about the, the well-being of the city. He cares about the structures and the walls and the gates and the people and, and what's happening there. See, what's, what's interesting, what's, I think, really, really unique, really cool about the way that we started the, the Bridge Church was that God gave us a vision to have a heart for the city. Here's a verse that, that was kind of crystallized for us in, in the early days of the Bridge Church. This is it, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. That means plant roots, get roots. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. I mean, start a legacy. Start a legacy where I've sent you. And he says this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. See, what we see here and what I believe is a theme throughout the entire Bible is that the people of God, which is you and me, the people of God are called to love the city where God has sent them. The people of God are called to love the city where God has sent them and that they are to care about the good of the city care about its welfare, and, and have hopes that one day it will be a great city. And here, here's what that means for us. We are a church for the city. It's plain and simple. It's as dirt road as I can make it. We are a church for the city. We're, we're a church for the city. Now, our full mission is the statement for Christ, for community, and for the city. And we didn't want to forget it, so we blew it up on the walls with 3,704-point font, exactly, so that we wouldn't... Forget it. We put it on the walls. And a key part of that mission, of our mission as a church, is that we want to be for the city. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't care about um, rural areas. It's not even hard to say that word. Uh, those of you who live in the country, I've got friends in the country. We love you. We're glad that you're here today. But our focus is the city. It's, it's, it's the place that's marked by density and diversity and development. And we believe that in the city is where culture emanates from. That, that the city is essentially upstream and that everything outside the city is kind of downstream. And what happens in the city affects the people um, all around. So what that means is that um, we love Wilmington. Uh, like we love, we love it here. We love this city. We think that this is a, a great city. 
It's a wonderful place to live. And we care about it. We care about health care. Uh, we care about um, politics. We care about social issues. Um, we care about the family. We care about the educational system. We care about, we care about the good of the city. Like we want to see those things succeed. We, we're here to help. We're here to be a part. We're here to invest our lives and our time and our money and our energy to, to help see the city prosper. See, what's unfortunate about, um, unfortunate in our culture is that many times uh, the church is seen as a parasite to the city. <laughs> Cities as a whole typically don't really like churches that much. You know, we get tax breaks. We don't pay our tax. We don't have to pay taxes. You know, we don't have to pay anything to the city. And so, you know, we're seen oftentimes as we just kind of suck off the goods of the city without really giving back. And there's a temptation for, for us to uh, retreat from the city, you know, to kind of to pull back, to kind of build a fortress, to kind of build a wall, to create distance from ourselves and the city, to, to keep at arm's length the, the brokenness, to keep at arm's length uh, the, the darkness. But the problem with that, with operating that way, uh, is the Bible <laughs> and Jesus. Jesus doesn't give us the option to keep the city at a distance, to keep the darkness at a distance, to just put up our hands and try to run and retreat and ignore uh, the problems of the city. See, Jesus, he was, he, he was a man who, who entered culture. He was a man who entered the city. He, he was a man who walked the streets with the poor. He was a man that walked the streets with politicians. He walked the streets with prostitutes. He immersed himself into the culture to love the city and to be a difference maker in the city. And when we look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah, he's a guy that he loves the city. His heart is for the city. That's the first thing that we see, and we want to be a church for the city. Now look with me back at verse 3. I want to point out something else. It says this, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exiles in great trouble and shame, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So word gets back to Nehemiah that Jerusalem is a city in ruins. It's a city in ruins. It's, it's a broken city. The walls have fallen apart. The walls are, are broken, which means it's now vulnerable. It's vulnerable to attack. It's susceptible to the enemy. And because the, the structures and the establishment of the city are weak, the people there that are living there are defenseless. They're victims of oppression. They're unable to protect themselves and provide for themselves. They're in great, great trouble, and they're living in shame. Now, Wilmington is a beautiful city. It's a great city, but in some ways, Wilmington is also a city in ruins. We don't have uh, walls, you know, that are falling down. We don't have necessarily gates that are on fire, but Wilmington is a city in, in ruins, Maybe or maybe you didn't know some of these facts. Wilmington, Wilmington has the highest rate of opioid abuse in the nation. Things like uh, hydrocodone and oxycodone. It is the highest, the highest rate in the nation. Wilmington is also the heroin capital of North Carolina. And it ranks very highly in uh, the nation. Wilmington has one of the highest crime rates in America compared to all communities of all sizes one of the highest crime rates, gang violence is, is a daily reality. We have kids, literally, and teenagers that get shot on a regular basis in our city. Wilmington is also a, has a great deal of 
racial division. A new report out of UNC just came out a couple weeks ago that described our school system in New Hanover County as hyper-segregated, which I don't even have to prove that to you. I mean, you just walk in Snipes and some of these other schools and you're like, what is, what is going on here? These are just a few, few examples that, that we live in a, a city that, that is broken, that we live in a city that is, in many ways is in, in ruins, that, that, it's, that it's kind of unraveling, that it's falling apart on, in some ways. And some people come to the bridge and they hear uh, us talk, they hear me teach about these kinds of things, and some people think that we have a, a political agenda. And we do have an agenda, uh, but our agenda isn't a political agenda, it's a kingdom agenda. It's a kingdom agenda that these things matter to God, that God is a God of the oppressed, that God is a God of justice, that God cares about the well-being of society, and that we, and we believe that Christians, as citizens of the kingdom of God, should be the very best citizens of the city, and we should care about our city and what is going on. You may have heard um, just a couple weeks ago, you probably maybe saw this in the news, um, there was a shooting in Creekwood, one of the Wilmington Housing Authority neighborhoods that's literally a few blocks from here. There's a shooting Saturday afternoon. Four people get shot. Um, right in the middle of Saturday afternoon, there was a kids program that was actually happening, and the gunshots are firing uh, at the time of this program. It's crazy. One of the, one of the men who, who was shot a couple days later actually, actually dies. And I'm reading this. I'm looking at it in the paper. Um, my staff makes fun of me because I, I get the newspaper and I read it, you know. And I do that because I want to be connected with what's happening in our city. And, and I'm reading this story, and it talks about the, the president of the neighborhood, a woman named Glendora Mullins. I'm like, who's, who's that? She's, she's the president of the, the neighborhood. And so I do some digging and end up finding her phone number. And I just give her a call. I've never met her in my life. I give her a call, and she answers the phone, and we talk. And I said, hey, you don't know me. Uh, my name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors of a church called the Bridge Church. It's right down the street near the ports. She said, yeah, 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 I've, I've, I've seen that. I know, where, I know where that is. I said, you don't know me, but I mean, we're, we're your neighbors, and I just want you to know that we're your friends, and we're here for you, and we love you. Um, it was her nephew that was the one that died. I later found out. And, we're here, and I just said, we're here for you. I don't know if you have needs or what you have going on, but we just want to be here for you. And she said, I actually do have a need. <laughs> that you could help us out with. Uh, she said, we have an after-school program that happens every day after school here uh, in Creekwood, and we just can't keep volunteers. We can't, don't have enough volunteers to actually run it and make it happen. Do you think that you could have any volunteers that you could send? <laughs> and I said, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, because we care. We care about that. Like, that, that's, that's, our, that's our home. This is our city. These are our people. That's, we want to do whatever we can to, to make a difference and to love our city and to make sure that it isn't um, struggling and suffering and that that would not be a city in, in ruins. We have a city that is a city in ruins, and I know that some of you are here to, this morning, and um, in many ways, your life uh, is in ruins. It's all, it's all you could do to just show up here today. Some of you this past week. I mean, your life, it's just in, in ruins. Some of you are walking through some of the hardest struggles that you've ever had to face. Some of the, the deepest challenges that you, you've ever even faced. You feel like your life is upside down. Your spouse just walked out on you. Maybe you lost someone that was close to you. Maybe the diagnosis was terminal and you feel like you're just ready uh, to give up and you feel hopeless and you feel like the walls of your life are unraveling and are falling down around you.
here's what I want you to know, is that we love you. We love you. Regardless of what you're facing, regardless of what your life is like, your life is in ruins. Here's a dirty little secret about the Bridge Church. All of our lives, our lives are in ruins. <laughs> Just stick around a little while and you'll, you'll find that out. But we, we love you. By the way, a little verbal affirmation helps me know that I'm preaching good, you know? <laughs> if you don't let me know, I'm just going to keep preaching, you know, along until I get good. So every now and then you can say amen. Everybody say amen. Amen? amen? All right. Some of you are here today and um, your life is, is struggling. You're walking through, through pain. You don't see like, feel like there's a purpose in your pain and you're struggling right now. Well, here, here's what I love um, about Jesus. Hebrews 4 says this. We don't have a high priest in Christ who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you know what the beautiful thing about um, Christianity is? Some of you are here, you feel like you're broken, you feel like your life is in, in ruins. We have a God we have a God that didn't stand distant from you at arm's length whenever you were broken, whenever you were in ruins. We have a God who entered brokenness for you. We have a God that was ruined for you. And though Jesus, though he could have stayed comfort, comfortable and convenient and stayed in heaven, he entered human history. He lived a life that you couldn't live, a life of perfection. Then he died the death that you should have died, he went to the cross, the cross that had your name on it, and then he conquered the grave that you couldn't conquer. And Jesus took on your brokenness to, one, understand what your brokenness is like, but then to be able to deliver you from your brokenness and your ruined situation. That God has a purpose in your pain. That he's working in your life. And you may not see it, you may not feel it, but God has a plan and a vision for your life. And we know that he cares about us and that he's walking through it with us, regardless of what you're facing. Amen? Amen. Okay, that was, that was kind of there. You're, you're, getting, you're getting a little bit better. All right. Verse 4, we'll go on, says this, verse 4. This is Nehemiah. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for five minutes. I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This is, this is powerful. Nehemiah, he's, um, he's just an ordinary guy, right? He's... Um, He's not a pastor. He's not a prophet. Um, he doesn't have a seminary degree. He's just an ordinary guy. He's, he's like every single one of us. He's got an interesting job, pretty high-profile job because he's the cupbearer for the king. But he's just a, he's just a normal, regular guy. And, and, and here he, we see that he, word gets to him that the city is in ruins, and he breaks down to the ground and begins to weep. Some of you are like, man, that's kind of like professional Christian. You know, that's kind of like what professional be. I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff. That's a little weird for me. He's, he's just an ordinary guy. And he, he, he just breaks down. It's not like, you know, it's not like a little tear, you know, during a Nicholas Sparks movie. It's not that. It's, it's this dude is bawling his eyes out for days. That's what's happening to, to Nehemiah. Here, here's how you know that you're a part of the city. This is how you know that you're a part of the city. You know that you're a part of the city when the city breaks, you break. When the city breaks, you break. When the city cries, you cry. When the city is broken, you are broken. And Nehemiah is devastated, broken, and wrecked. Here's, here's, here's what that means for us. When the city breaks, we break. That we break. That 
when our city, when it's broken, when it breaks, that, that, that we break. Can I ask you, you a personal question? Um, when was the last time, just out of curiosity, that you were devastated for our city that's broken? When is the last time that you were wrecked over the brokenness around you? When is the last time that you actually shed a tear over the pain in our city? When's the last time that you um, lost sleep because of the poor, because foster kids, or because of homelessness? So what's scary is that we have a tendency that many of us are more concerned about that we lost fantasy football last week than someone lost their life in a shooting. And that's, that's me. That's, that's me too. I'm not, I'm not immune to that. I have, I'm, I'm a man, I'm, I'm a guy that has a heart that cares about his own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. That cares about his own city than the city that we, that we live in. And so my wife and I, we just made some pretty clear decisions that we're going to, to live in such a way that we cannot be immune to the, 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 the brokenness of, of our city. So that means for us, we, we live in the city. Um, if some, some of you came on my street and, and knew where we live, you'd be like, I can't believe the pastor lives here. That's crazy, you know? My car got stolen a couple weeks ago. You know, it's just it's kind of my neighborhood, you know? It's, it's kind of what happens. I mean, we, we made a decision. We're going we're gonna to live in the city. We're going to live and try to be in the heart of the city and, and hear and feel the brokenness. We, we hear sirens, you know, at least a couple times a day. I mean, that's kind of the world in which we, we live in. Uh, I get... I get the newspaper because I want to just read and see and hear, hear what happens. We, we have to be people that are um, concerned about the city and the state of our city. And we have to be people of all people that care and that break when our city breaks. Now look at me at verse 5. We'll continue. Verse 5 says this. And I said, this is Nehemiah. He's praying. Nehemiah gets down on his face and he prays, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those with those who love him and keep his commandments. I love that. The first thing that Nehemiah does is he prays. Before he builds a plan, some of you got your pens out and you're like thinking of a plan, you know, like working on your plan. Nehemiah, he just prays. It's the first thing he does, he prays. And then he hinges his prayer on the goodness of God. He hinges his prayer on the character of God. And he knows that his God is a God that cares, that wants to make a difference. And so he prays to him, verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night before the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, confessing what they've done, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Now, here's what I, here's what I love about Nehemiah. He doesn't wallow in his pain forever. He doesn't stay in his pain forever. He doesn't live in the brokenness forever. He uses his brokenness. He uh, redeems his brokenness. And he uses it as a catalyst for change. That something's got to happen. Something's got to change. You ever been like that in a place in your life? You're looking at your family. You're looking at your kids. You're looking at some situation. You're looking at your finances. Something has got to change. Something has got to be different. And and Nehemiah is not okay with the status quo. Something has to change. He has a vision. Here's here's what that teaches us. God can use your brokenness to produce in you a vision. God can use in you, and you're thinking, not me, the guy beside me. No. God can use in you 
your brokenness in order to produce in you a, a vision. And Nehemiah, he doesn't stay in his broken state. He has a vision. He has a vision for a preferred future. He doesn't just sit on his couch and yell at the news about how the society is going to hell in a handbasket. No, he has a vision. He, he does something. He, he acts. He gets up and he makes a decision that he's going to do something about it. So let me ask you a question. Will you be a Nehemiah? Will you be a Nehemiah for your street, for your neighborhood, for your workplace, for orphans, for the oppressed, for the widows, for the unborn, for the fatherless, for the addicted, for the homeless? Will you be a Nehemiah? You have a vision for a preferred future and say, God, do this. God, we ask for you to make a change in me, in my family, in my city, where I live. God, be a difference maker in me. When we, when we started uh, the, the Bridge Church, we felt like God gave us a vision to do, to do a few things. That, that we looked at our city, that we cried out to God, and that God gave us a vision to, to be a difference maker. Here's one of the things that we do that's really crazy and unorthodox. A few Sundays a year, we come together for a few minutes, and then we leave this place, our most valuable time of the week. We leave this, and we go out on the streets uh, to serve in Snipes and on our streets with Vigilant Hope and all, all over the place. We do that a few, few Sundays a year because we want to take our most valuable thing that we have and, and give it to the city and say, here's, here's, here's what we've got. Here's the best that we've got, and we're giving it to you. We say we... We don't worship uh, in the seats on that Sunday. We worship in the streets, trying to be a difference maker. You hear us talk about Snipes all the time. When I first came here, when our team was here, I got an invitation from Snipes Academy, a public elementary school that's right beside us, which is where we're going to have our picnic uh, after today. And I got an invitation, you've, many of you have heard this, to go to a, a breakfast for, that was pastors and pancakes. <laughs> and I'm a pastor, and I like pancakes. And so I thought I would go. It was the only time I've ever been invited by a school to actually come to something as a pastor. And they kind of laid out their needs before. So they don't have a PTA. Then they got all sorts of different kinds of needs. And I'm kind of in that moment. I'm sitting there listening and I'm saying, uh, we'll be your PTA. We'll be it. The Bridge Church will be it. We're going to come. And so literally, a, a, a couple dozen volunteers are in the building at Snipes every single week. It, it, it's It's incredible. We had a vision, we started partnering with an organization called Vigilant Hope that helps those who are homeless and in transition. Uh, we wrote a pretty significant check to help them uh, create and build a mobile trailer unit so that people that don't have a home in Wilmington can actually take a shower and, and clean themselves. And we had a vision that we were going to make a difference in, in the city. And you, many of you don't know this, but when we first came here, uh, when we first came here, uh, I'll say it this way. The people in our community um, on Facebook were a little bit nasty that we were coming. Um, there were quite a few critics that didn't like that a church was coming into this space in this, in this neighborhood. And we received quite a bit of criticism, um, but decided that we wouldn't retaliate, we wouldn't respond. We would just be the church and do what call, uh, God's called us to do. Well, there's a guy at Port City Java who he's kind of like uh, the father of the community in some ways. He's over there all the time. Um, love this guy. We have a good relationship. We, we talk about every day. And um, we've been here for two years now. And so this past week I say, hey, um, I don't know if you knew this, but this Sunday is our two-year anniversary. It's our two-year anniversary. And he just stands there and he thinks, and he goes, wow, in two years, 
you guys have been quite an asset to the community. You know, like, that's, he, he doesn't, he's not on staff here. You know? <laughs> that wasn't like a high five from a staff member that reports to me. You know, I mean, this is just a guy in the community. He's like, wow, you've been an asset to our community. See, that's what we're called to do. We're called to make a difference, called to love, called to be a blessing, to have a vision, to see something change. And that's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah, he's got a vision. I'll fast forward a little bit. He, um, he, he reaches out to the king, which is crazy, Artaxerxes. He tells the king what his vision is, and the king says, I'll help. I'll pay for that. He gives him money, gives him dollars, gives him lumber, uh, gives him mortar. I mean, to, to help this Nehemiah in, in his vision. And Nehemiah comes up with a plan and a strategy, and he begins to recruit some troops to help and to start doing it, raising funds. And then they go to the city, and they start rebuilding the walls. They start rebuilding the walls, and the mission receives all kinds of opposition, people that don't like it, people that want to kill it, people that want to snuff it out. But they, become, they remain faithful, and they work because they have a mission and a vision for what they do. Now look with me in chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. This is how we'll close. It says this. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. I have no clue when that is. Don't ask me. In 52 days. 52 days, verse 16. And when all our enemies heard of it, this is the nation surrounding them, the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. Self-esteem went down a little bit. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. This is a miraculous feat. They complete the reconstruction of the walls of a city, Jerusalem, in 52 days. That is just absolute, that is nuts. Some of us have a hard time cleaning our house in 52 days. And they build a, a wall. Some of you have a hard time doing a research paper in 52 days. It's hard to get a permit around here in 52 days. And, and they rebuild the walls of the city in 52 days. Days And I love what Nehemiah says in verse 16. He says that the nations around them, this is the watching world, the people that are looking in at the people of God, the nations around them are blown away and they are amazed by what happened. And they're even a little afraid because they recognize that what happened was really humanly impossible. That it doesn't make any logical sense that they were able to rebuild the walls in this time frame. And this is that must have had the help of God. Which means it must have been the work of God. It must have been the movement of God. Now here's what I believe about the Bridge Church. Here, here's what I believe. What we have experienced in the past two years is ridiculous. It's just utter chaos. I don't understand. No one had this on their plan. Like, nobody was like, hey, two years, what do you think? I'm like, I'm just hoping we're alive you know, in two years. What's happened is, is absolutely r r ridiculous. And, and it doesn't happen because of the work of one man. Nehemiah doesn't take any praise or any glory from what happens. I look at this thing and I'm like, how in the world did this happen but, you know, in spite of me? <laughs> how did I not train wreck this thing already? Nehemiah doesn't take any, any glory from, from any of it. It was clear to everyone that the only logical way this happened was it must have been the work of God. And when I look at what God is doing here, the only logical explanation is that this is a work of God, that this is a movement of God, that God is up to something. <laughs> Don't you like it when God is up to something? That God is doing something, that he is, is, is moving. I'll give you a little bit of perspective. Um, 
the average, the statistics say that the average new church in America, church plant, new church, um, is fortunate to still be in existence after about four years. Like, if you make it to year four, like, way to go. Um, Of those that make it to year four, uh, the average church is 100 people. And, you know, we're here after two years and have Sundays where there's over 600 people here, you know? That, that, is, that is just nuts. It just doesn't make, make sense. And, and the numbers are awesome, uh, but the stories are, are even better. Stories of, of life change. Stories of people meeting Jesus and getting baptized at the bridge. We're going to baptize, uh, uh, I think, over a dozen people today in the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock. In, in two years, this, including today, will be 80 people that we have baptized. 80 people, which is just ridiculous. And I look at you, you know, I don't know most of you, I know a lot of you, um, and I see, I see stories of life change, you know. I see marriages that have been restored, I see children that have been healed, I see people that are struggling with infertility, be able to get pregnant, people's lives that are unraveling at every turn, and God meets them and brings their life back together. And that's what God's, this is a movement of God. It's what God is doing. And if, and if we were to read forward, if we were to read to um, the next few chapters of Nehemiah, which I want, you're, I want, you're welcome. But if we were to read forward, we would see over the next few chapters that the people of God, in response to the movement of God, in response to the work of God, they respond to God with prayer and praise and worship and celebration. They get, they get a party on, you know? They, they literally, they throw a festival because of what God has done. And what we're doing today is we're celebrating. We're praising God. We're going to have a little fun. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. We're going to thank God for everything that he is doing here. And we're going to throw a picnic, you know, after, and eat some good food, hopefully. You know? um, hopefully what you made is good. Um, and, have a, and have a good time because we're celebrating what, what God has done. We're celebrating his, his faithfulness. And I'll close with this. The rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem was not the end of their story. It wasn't the end of their story. It wasn't the finale of God's people. Rather, it was the beginning of a new day. It was the beginning of a new season of God's people because God wasn't done with them and God wasn't done with his mission. And Jerusalem, the great city, it would go on to be the hub of God's mission in the world. It would go on to one day be the place where Jesus would come, and where Jesus would change the story of history forever. And Bridge Church, this is not the end of our story. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of a movement of God, of what God wants to do. This is a new season of what God wants to do to change you, to change me, to change our church, and to change our city. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Pray with me. God, we celebrate your faithfulness today. We stand here not because of the work of man's hands. We stand here because of the work of your hands. Primarily what Jesus has done in our place and for our sins, that he has conquered the enemy that we couldn't conquer, that he has rebuilt the walls of our lives that we could not rebuild. And we stand in him and we rest in him and we enjoy him and celebrate him today. So God, we thank you. We say this in Jesus' good name. Amen.